The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, EV charging chess games, diesel locomotives, pickles, and our special guest, stock car racing historian Cody Dinsmore. All that and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident of Carna, and Tim DePasquale, a poster to the stars. How you doing, Tim? I'm good, Bud. How are you? You, you look like, uh, what, what was that character that was in the the movies, uh... Hellman or something like that. What? What Mr. was that guy's name? Mr. Green Jeans? Yeah, no, no, the green guy that, that had the, the, green the goggles that... and and Jeez, it was I, a Marvel movie I, thing. I, I, I mean, with the sunglasses up on top and the, you know, okay, the headphones. Yeah. What was his name? I, I will have to think. I'm really, you got me at a loss. I haven't We'll look it. it up. I'm a super geek and I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> There's something he dreamed You know up. the guy. He's, you, know, he's yeah. like a, you mean the Hulk? Green Lantern? No, he's like the Hulk. And it was something like that. But Martian Manhunter? No, it was... <laughs> it was That's a real character. I thought it was Hellman or something. Oh, Hellman? Uh, Hell I, we'll really? I look up. like Hellman? You no, look no, like Hellman. No, I didn't mean you look like... <laughs> Okay, we're gonna have to I look did it have up a drink now. last night, but... You All know. right, we're going to have to look it up anyway. Uh, how's things on the, the homestead, the farm? Oh, the farm, everything's good. Farm's good? Yep, yep, okay. yep. I uh, popped a hydraulic line in my tractor. Uh-oh. Yeah, but, that, you know, it's no problem. If, when you tractor, you learn to repair tractors. Yeah, that's... So that's, that's part of the deal. Right. Well... So I bought a new car and completely disassembled the back seat and made work for you. Oh, good. But I have a new respect for what you do. And we're actually going to do a a video mm-hmm. to put on the podcast here of, of back seats. To... And, and No, I'm not going to do how to how to do the back seat in your car. But uh-huh. like I say, I have a new respect for your, your art. Help your dog be a better back seat driver. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You take a $100,000 car and... Modify it so that your dog it has a more <laughs> comfortable ride. Well, they offer a seat delete for this particular car. It's a Mustang. They order uh-huh. a rear seat delete, but it's 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 so cheesy, and mm. it's, and it opens up the the driver's compartment to the trunk compartment because the back seat or the back the seat backs on the back seat yeah. fold down. Right. Once you remove them, you got a hole going. You into got a the hole, trunk. and then you get a lot of echo and yeah, so and forth. You, yeah, I right. I don't want to put speakers back there or anything mm. like that. I, I oh, want you to don't be put separated up. from the trunk. Uh, so I left the back of the back seat in. Okay. And made a platform mm-hmm. that you're going to carpet and upholster and make beautiful. And yeah. maybe we'll put pictures of that on the podcast. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, that'd All be right. fine. Beautiful. All right. Back to the matter at hand. Yes. Well, Roger Penske. Had a pretty busy weekend. Yes, he did. And a very winning weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, his driver won the Indy 500, and his NASCAR driver, Ryan Blaney, won the Coke 600. Wow. Was not without some controversy. Yeah. Did you watch any of the race, or were you just mowing? No, I was mowing. You were mowing. Right? Mm-hmm. I got to watch the Indy 500. I hear you. You ever been to it? No. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. The, the stuff they do for the veterans... And the stuff the Coca-Cola 600 does, NASCAR. Right. You know, the, the pre-show that they don't show you on television. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, fantastic. Do you know who won the Indy 500? I do not. Joseph Newgarden. 
Now, that sounds like somebody from not around here. Right. Joseph Newgarden. Mm-hmm. But Joseph is from Nashville, Tennessee. Really? Yeah. His mother's Danish. That's where, you know, oh. the Joseph Newgarden. Okay. Anyway, he's been, uh, he started out racing go-karts and mm-hmm. went through the ranks, and uh, he won the race on the last lap. The one person from Nashville that does not pick a guitar? Or, I don't know. He may maybe, play guitar on the side. I have no idea. Uh, okay. I have no idea, but he drove a great race. you got to be up front to win. Mm-hmm. Now, what was controversial? All right, I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy, but I was thinking, I was thinking from the car side of it when I saw what happened. Yeah. They had a red flag. Okay. And, uh, I don't know, four or five, six cars crashed on coming to the green. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was only three or four or five laps to go. It wasn't a lot of laps to go, but anyway. These cars crashed, and they let the field come either two or three times. They parted the cars that were crashed and let the field come through and run under caution. Mm-hmm. Okay. So by the time the race was started, there was only, I think, two laps to go. All right. So... And they had all the cars parked. They red flagged the race. This was the, was the third red flag of the race. They parked all the cars in pit lane. They told them, come out of pit lane, come around the track, and you're going to take the green. And that's it. One lap. Oh. So, it, at least that's what I understand. They came out of the pits at pit, pit road speed, mm-hmm. got onto the track, came around as kind of a parade lap, you know, behind the, the, uh, the, the Corvette pace car, pace car mm-hmm. and then one lap. Well... My thought about that is they should have thrown the red flag as soon as the wreck happened because mm-hmm. there were cars everywhere yeah, and not run those three laps of caution. Right. Because that car, that Indy car does not get up to speed in three quarters of a lap. Right. And then you take the green, your tires, the cars have been sitting, so the so tires, tires aren't warmed are cold, up. Yeah. My, my, my theory, based on the engine, the tires, everything was they should have run, you know, let them take a parade lap. You know, go around and make a, a, a lap at speed mm-hmm. and then throw the green. Okay. And then have two laps to f- sort it out. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't happen. So was it a free-for-all that last, that one lap? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, they, they, they watered them up. And uh, I really think that if the cars could have gotten up to speed, the three cars that were leading, one mm-hmm. was A.J. Foyt's car. Um, I can't remember who put the second car. But it was Marcus Erickson. I can't remember who he drives for. And uh, Roger Penske's car was out front. But... You know, the Indy, you want to be second, you know, when you're coming to the last lap. Okay. So you can draft the guy, make the pass, and all that. Mm-hmm. And they got to beating and banging a little bit. And it, it just, it, it, it was just kind of a... Like an ugly finish? It was an ugly finish. Yeah. Now, they didn't finish under caution, which was good. Oh, yeah. Because, man, there's nothing worse. And I, I think, that, you know, the Indy Racing League or whatever they call it, it's not the IRL, but the IndyCar organization, the NTT IndyCar or, organization... Needs to take into consideration maybe a green, white, checkered like NASCAR does. Because mm-hmm. you pay that kind of money to go to Indy oh, or yeah. any race as far as I'm concerned. Sure. You should see a, a race a to race. the finish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't have Roger Penske's number, but uh, and I have the utmost respect for Roger Penske. Mm-hmm. But he owns a Speedway. Right. He owns a series. Mm-hmm. And he owned the, the racing car. The winning car. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay, then. All right. You know, I thought it was very interesting that they use uh, two ma- different manufacturers, 2.2-liter turbo V6 engines built by Honda and Chevrolet. Yeah, Chevrolet won the race. Oh, they did? The okay. Way. Yeah. yeah. So we have Chevrolet, we have the All-American Kid, mm-hmm. we've got Roger Penske, we've got Indy 500. 
It's, yeah. So the conspiracy guys were just oh, sure. going crazy about all of this. I think what uh, Tony Kanan said, he says, no matter who wins the the IndyCar race, you got 32 guys that are ticked off. Oh, right. So, yeah. Because they yeah. didn't yeah. win it. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but go ahead. Look, look, tell me your story about uh, why the green flag was really green at Indy this year. Well, well because the, the cars were greener. They are, they're trying to be green. They don't want to offend anybody. So... In, in the 107-year history of this race, uh, this is the first time that they're burning 100% renewable biofuel using carbon-neutral motor oil and running on tires that are made of recycled plastic. Now, they, they say that uh, some of the, some of the uh, ingredients in this fuel... It's 85% ethanol, and then there was 15% of racing gas. Racing fuel. Now it's gone to completely renewable stuff. Now it's, yeah, and, and, but they don't divulge what it no, actually. No, it's the, like the secret sauce. I, I, I kind of <laughs> got it on good authority that it's monkey hips. Monkey hips. Yep. All right, let's uh, leave it at that. You need yeah. parts for your uh, classic indie car? Uh, you don't go to year one, the no. muscle car experts, but uh, if you need something for your Chevelle or Camaro or other 60s and 70s muscle car, you go to the great folks at year one in Cornelia, Georgia. Yeah, and they've got, you know, like uh, like we've mentioned before, they got all the dress-up items for under the hood. They've got, you know, the correct decals and stuff. You don't have to spend a ton of money like if you're taking your car to a car show and stuff and you mm-hmm. just want to dress it up under the hood. You know, chrome it out, get some yeah. stickers, and, you know, make it look right. right. Mm-hmm. I'm big on hose clamps, you know that. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know. mark them and cut them so there's nothing sticking out. Mm-hmm. But they, they got the, the actual ones with the one the one bolt like used to come on the cars. Yeah. When Back in the day when you could actually reach a hose clamp. Oh, right. You worked on some of the new stuff. You need a, you need a probe to get back into where you're mm-hmm. doing and work on it. But they, they have got what you need. And, you know, you, you can go as deep as getting an engine. Right. From them. You can get a crate engine for your car, Ford, Chevrolet, and uh, check out all the great stuff they got at yearone.com. Okay. So in between all this racing action, Bud, did you happen to watch any of the Mecham auction? I did. I did. And they had, uh, and they had the, the high-dollar cars you yeah. know, on the, our, our, the last day of the auction at, mm-hmm. at Indianapolis. And apparently there was a, a very good supply of... Alcohol. Oh, you know it. <laughs> this, and uh, money at this particular auction. Sure. Pretty amazing. A 70 Plymouth Hemi Superbird. Okay. Uh, and there weren't a bunch of them made. Went for $605,000. Unbelievable. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. A 67 GT 350 Fastback Mustang. Mm-hmm. 632 grand. Again. Unbelievable. I don't get it, yeah. The 31 Cadillac V16 Coupe. Now, this one. That caught my attention. I get it. I get it. And I'm tickled to death to see a fine automobile built with craftsmanships of the 30s to make that kind of money. You know, interesting you should bring that up. We did the Memorial Day Parade earlier in the week. Yeah. And there were a lot of classic cars, the bigger cars with veterans in them Mm -hmm. in the parade. Because the veterans can't, you know, a lot of them, you know, can't walk and stuff anymore. They're, right. they're up there in age. And it, the I think it's great to have the cars associated with the parade because, you know, it defines America. The the, 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 the classic cars back from, you know, yeah. 
30s, the, 40s, yeah, 30s and 50s. 40s, you know, where yeah. the, the, well, you and your chrome and, and mm-hmm. you know, just the, just the grandeur of the cars. Right, right. You know, I'm, I'm not knocking a Chevelle or a Corvette or something that's in the parade, but the golden age of, of cool cars and artwork and all that yeah. was back then. That went for $660,000. Wow. So, not chump change for sure. No. 67 Corvette convertible. I didn't get this. Um, you know, six hundred and sixty grand must have been nice. Yeah, well, it, you know, I'm sure all these cars were nice. Well, the 2006 Ford GT Heritage. That's in the Gulf um, livery colors. You know, the blue with the red stripe or orangish stripe. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. You know, like Gulf Gas. Yeah, like yeah, Gulf yeah, Gas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that went for six hundred and sixty grand. So, oh, those cars have never really uh, dropped in value at all. I mean, they've they were they started out high and have remained so. It's an awesome car. Well, that was the cheaper cars. Uh, a seventy one ZR two Corvette, which was a you know specific car. Right. Uh, Zoris Dantov, uh-huh. uh, named after him, had some great modifications and stuff on it. Uh, factory stuff. Seven hundred and fifteen grand. A Copo Camaro. Not to be confused with Copo Cabana. Mm-hmm. 69 <laughs> Copo Camaro went for 770 Unbelievable. And here's where it gets a little confusing to me. They have had this 1970 Black Ghost Hemi Challenger RTSE mm-hmm. on display at the last few auctions they've had. Yeah. And they only made like 26 of these things. Uh-huh. And I never heard of it until... I, I never did No, either. either. Yeah. It went for $1 million. $720,000. Wow. That is crazy. That's just... I mean, it's a, it's a Hemi. It's, it's, not, it's not a Ferrari. It's not a... Yeah. It's not a G... I, I, I don't get it. Well, that I was, mean, it's a Hemi uh, Cuda or a Challenger. I mean, it, it's... Maybe that was late in the auction and someone hollered for one more round and, you know... Stuck their hand up. Yeah, and, oh, yeah right. Sold. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> But this one here really kind of hacked me off. The 70 Plymouth Cuda Rapid Transit Show Car. Mm-hmm. It's just the goofiest looking thing. It's, it's, you remember when we used to put Gabriel hijackers on the back oh, of our car yeah, to get tire yeah. clearance? That's right. what this thing looked like. Right. The wheels are all jacked up, all and upset, offset mm-hmm. the wrong way. It's got this silly looking grill on it. Mm-hmm. And that thing mm-hmm. went for $2,200,000. Right. I no. remember the uh, rapid transit marketing yeah, thing. Yeah, that they it was good. It was a good thing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's two point two million dollars. There, there again, it's alcohol and money. How, how much do you think that is? What in, in uh, monthly? How, monthly with the late fee? We'll have to do the math on that. Bill, get your calculator out. We'll figure that out. Okay. Good deal. Two point <laughs> two million. Wow. Yeah. And you know what? The, the the Rapid Transit car didn't have any chrome on it. It didn't. Not to speak of. It had Krager wheels on it, but it wasn't mm-hmm. all chromed up. I bring that up because there are restrictions now on chrome plating in California. They're going to ban chrome plating by 2039 in California if if they don't straighten out some of the chemicals they're using. Yeah. So this is uh, very important. The fumes from the plating process is 500 times more toxic than diesel exhaust. Mm-hmm. And it increases the cancer risk in many disadvantaged communities across the state. Uh, so the California Air Resources Board has come out, and they're trying to ban Chrome 6. Chrome 6 is hexavalent chromium. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that's what they use right now. It's highly toxic uh, metal for restoring classic parts, protecting aviation components, and used in the space industry. Right. And I mean, it's, you know, chrome, everything from chrome Chrome. faucets to chrome cars. But a lot of these shops, you know, started out as in somebody's garage Mm -hmm. in a neighborhood. And they're saying that so many of these shops are actually within 1,100 feet of, of, uh, of homes. Yeah. Private homes. I can't imagine. You've been to the chroming shop. Uh, that many of us use here in Georgia. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. won't name names, no, but no, you've been no, to the was, shop. Tell me a little bit about a chrome well, shop. Well, it was a fascinating place, and what I found was that, you, well, first of all, you don't walk on the floor. They have pallets on the floor, and you walk on the pallets. And there are stations where they have bench grinders, and most of the process of chroming is in the prep, just like a lot with car painting that the prep is the most important part. They straighten them, and then they use different grits of grinding wheels to get them smooth before they put them in the tank. And when it comes to the actual, they put them in another tank first for something, and then when it actually comes to the nickel, it only is in the tank for a few minutes. Right. Well, because... If you've ever dealt with chrome, we have, but I mean, if anybody's ever tried to get somebody something chromed, you know, it, the old chrome pits, and some of it's put over pop metal and, and mm-hmm. different metals, and it gets funky looking. If you want to get it nice and smooth, it's like painting a car. you got to get the imperfections out right. of it. In some cases, you got to fill the imperfections right, and then dip it in whatever they dip it in. Yeah. But if you're walking on pallets, it's not probably good to, you know, get it on the soles of your shoes and... Get it on your socks well, and your you feet. You can imagine what that. these guys are breathing well, that's day in and day thinking. out. Yeah. So it's going to render some businesses worthless, though. Uh, one of the guys that owns a custom plating uh, business in Sacramento says, my employees will be unemployed 43 years down the drain. My entire business has worked, you know, through these rule changes and that. Yeah. And now it's going to become a hazardous waste facility. So. Right. They say that they're gonna they're gonna stretch this out a little bit because the state estimates it'll cost forty million for decorative platers to transition all the different mm-hmm. platers uh, to a new product that won't be so bad, and six hundred and forty-eight million to uh, transition for the larger chrome plated. Uh, like the aerospace industry. Yeah, or move to Mississippi and just spend 1600 bucks. <laughs> that's, that's what a lot of the, the chromers that's, are saying. They're saying, well, we're going to lose the cheap labor, mm-hmm. but a lot of folks will just pack up and go to another state. Right. It's either that or start sending the bumpers over to China to get them chrome-plated there. Well, they'll do it. I, think, I think some of that's going on now. They're going to try to introduce tri- trivalent chromium, Mm-hmm. Which has been used in the the uh, has not been used as in the plating industry because it doesn't have a shiny finish. It has more like a stainless steel finish. Yeah, well then, you know, who wants that? Well, I don't know. There's been a lot of folks going to black, black chrome wheels. Yeah, so. right, and black bumpers even. Well, we'll, we'll see we'll how see it all how works it all out. works out. Right? Now, didn't you have some? Didn't you, I recently became aware of multi-viscosity, of a, of a multi-viscosity synthetic oil that was 0W16. You see any, seen any of this stuff? Mm-mm. I'm, I'm used to zero. I'm used to the zero stuff now. Really? All right, which is 0W20, 30, whatever. That we're putting in uh, new cars because the machining so is, is like, so close. This is like water. Basically, then. yeah. 
when it first flows. Wow. Well, they want to get the engine. They want to get the oil up to the top of the engine. That's where the cams are. Mm-hmm. So they make the clearances a lot tighter. Clearances are tighter, and and this is something I didn't realize. It, if well, of course, it flow, flows more easily, but it reduces the engine warm up time because the clearances are tight, mm-hmm. and that takes you out of open loop, which gives you better fuel economy. We've talked about open loop, closed loop. Right. You know, your car doesn't start taking all the input from the computer until it gets to a certain temperature. Mm-hmm. This brings the computer into play quicker and supposedly gives you better well, gas mileage. Makes perfect sense. Earlier in the week. We lost Tina Turner. Yes. Great, great, great performer. And I am going to make a link between Tina Turner and Mopar. Tina Turner's career was on fire in 1989. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, Chrysler CEO Lee Iacocca knew a star when he saw a star. And he hired Tina Turner to do um, advertisements for Plymouth to help invigorate the brand's image. She did the uh, Plymouth Sundance Compact. You mm. remember that car? My father owned one, turned it over in a ditch. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Where she delivered the very Iacocca esque pitch. I want to warn you about this car, the Plymouth Sundance. Over half the people who test the Sundance buy a Sundance. So if you, you don't want to buy a new car, stay away from the Sundance. Yeah. And right. she even promoted the Voyager minivan and returned in 1990 for the Laser Sports car, which I don't. I don't remember the laser sports oh, car. Oh, I do. Uh, that was the, uh, what was the Mitsubishi version of that? Um, twin turbo. Oh, the, the, um, yeah, wasn't the 3000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh, was the okay. same car. As it was the, the same as, car. Right. Oh, okay. Well, she did that. And uh, no matter what you thought about before, my friend, this is not for wallflowers. Oh, and then she did the Acclaim midsize sedan. She says, this car is built for comfort. Yeah, now I don't I remember. wonder what else we have in common. Uh. <laughs> that was her line, not mine. But she, uh, she, she's her favorite car to drive, she wrote this in her 2018 biography, autobiography, uh, was her Jaguar. Oh, yeah. She said, it's one of the few times I can get away, be alone. I don't know how you can be alone in a Jaguar without having a wiring specialist there. <laughs> <laughs> She owned a white Jaguar XJ6 and a silver E-Type that she received as gifts. The XJ6 was given to her by Sammy Davis Jr. who gave it to her. Thanks for appearing in a Las Vegas show with him. Wow. Cool stuff. Isn't that something? All right, let's move on to another lady that garnered a lot of attraction uh, recently. She... uh, she was trying to put gasoline into her electric vehicle. It this, this is amazing. This does not compute, you know? Yeah, but you know, you and I try to try to market our businesses and our podcast and our radio show. And, you know, we pay marketing people to do mm-hmm. this stuff for us. And all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this girl got like 40, I don't know, 4 million or 40 million, some ridiculous yeah. amount of views of her wandering around the car trying to find a trying place to, to find put the a gasoline. place. Yeah. 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 So maybe that's what we need to yeah, do to market need, our radio show. I, I guess. Do something yeah. really Set something on fire at the upholstery shop and see if that gets you lots of views. Yeah. It went viral. Mm-hmm. And her, her explanation was she'd just got in the car mm-hmm. and... She had a rough day, and she needed a sugar fix, and she was going in to get some sweets from the convenience store and just thought, well, while I'm here, I'll get gas. Gas up, yeah. And people were hollering at her, you know, you can't put gas in it. By the way, advice from the EPA. No, 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 do not put gasoline in your electric car. Yeah, yeah. Who who was that? (laughs) 
That was this was a, this was in Europe. Oh, <laughs> England, I think. Well, don't Middle Eastern people own all right, 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 all right. Advice from the EPA, so you can always count on the EPA. Okay. Trying to put gasoline in an electric charging port could start a fire or ruin. I, I love this or ruin your engine. Yeah, that's darn good advice there. Yeah, EPA. except you don't have an engine in your electric car. No, but I know what they're saying. I get you can it. always count on. Mm-hmm. Where does leather come from? I got to thinking. You know, we we went to a uh, event that our our buddy had. Uh, Tim Phillips, mm-hmm. and he had it at a place called the Tannery in Buford. Oh, yeah. And they had the machine there that they used to squeeze They used to, to right. They say that's a very smelly, dirty, nasty process. So how does it go on now? Where do you get your leather from? Well, I mean, we buy from suppliers, but I think this, uh, and I'm going to preface this, this is my opinion, which I've gathered from different sources over the years, but this has just been a giant marketing gig to... Uh, find a way to make the most of leather cow hides coming out of South America, which then go to Italy to uh, get processed and then make their way back to America. And the, and the workers in Italy, to my surprise... Yes, are, are for the most part uh, Chinese. Wow. So, I mean, a lot of the handmade things that we buy from Italy now were actually made by Chinese people working in Italy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. They're Italian facilities, yeah. That's yeah, it. right. They're looking for workers, too, because the population of Italy is is uh, decreasing and everybody's getting old. You know, Grandma wants to make pasta. She don't want to tan hides. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, Makes good sense to I me. Mean, where well, I guess this week on Bud's Garage Overdrive is a young man that has got an old soul. That's what he says anyway. And he's a historian, a racing historian, and is involved in a lot of different things with racing. I can't go to a racetrack and not run into him. <laughs> and that would be Cody Dinsmore from the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame and just uh, just historian in general. Been on Dale Earnhardt's show, uh, Lost Racetracks, and... Things like that. Cody, welcome into Bud's Garage. Hey, Cody. Thanks, Bud. I'm uh, glad to be here again. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you. I've known you a long time from, you know, karting and, and stuff like that. And, you know, being around Dawsonville and the Elliots and, and things like that. How were you always a car guy? How did you get into the car deal? Uh, I would say about seven years old. I saw my first race. And uh, coincidentally enough, I, I like to tell the story. It was it was pretty much the last chance that uh, Bill Elliott had to win a, a NASCAR race. And it was uh, November of 2003. It was the Homestead race, last race of the season. He just came off Rockingham, which was, which was his last win. And um, I was about seven years old, and I was with my family eating in a restaurant, and they had the, the race on a big TV in the corner. And uh, never paid attention to the race at all until the last lap. My dad and my grandfather turned around, and, you know, because Bill, if you remember the race, uh, Bill took the white flag. Uh, as the leader, right, entered, yeah. entered one, entered two, and my dad said, the only way he can't win now is if he blows a tire. And sure enough, coming out of two, he blew a tire. And uh, so I still blame my dad for that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, that just kind of led to uh, me as a, as a young kid following NASCAR a little bit and, and learning more about it and collecting the little uh, Hot Wheels NASCAR so you were seven years, seven years old at the time. How old was uh, was Bill just wrapping up his career? Yeah, that was his last full time season. In, okay, in '03. And so, then who did he go to race for after that? 
Uh, he was still with Everham part-time after that. Oh, and then, that was during the Dodge era. Right, And right, stuff like that. Right. Okay. So, you're seven years old. You're hooked on cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's next as far as, as you know, were you, were you waiting for that driver's license as a Hot Wheel <laughs> driver? or? Uh, you know, I, I definitely was because uh, that, that Christmas, so that was, you know, the next month, I got a go-kart for... Um, for Christmas. Ah, and, uh, go-kart. Okay. So, yeah, you know, like a yard cart? Yeah, it was a yard cart. Okay, and, cool. You know, I had my helmet, and my mom made me a pair of coveralls. That that was my racing uniform. Ooh. And, you know, I'd just go around the driveway just imagining I was, you know, this driver or that driver. So that, yeah. that definitely led to it. And, um, you know, I just, I, I think pretty early I just started getting books and, and different, uh, different things to read about, uh, different you know, points of history, and I'd, I would learn who Richard Petty was, learn who Fireball Roberts was, you know, as an eight, nine-year-old kid, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a teaching question real quick, okay. because I've, when I was teaching high school, I had a lot of guys who were in my shop class, my automotive class, and they weren't very good readers because they'd never read anything mm-hmm. that was very interesting to them. So I started bringing in car magazines, and... It, it, it was it was funny because there would be times in the shop when you know not everybody was out in the shop or they had book work to do and part of us were out in the, and we had different periods that were stacked periods where the where they were block blocks of of, of an hour and a half or whatever mm-hmm. and so I'd have I'd have a you know an array of different people in the shop at the same time and lo and behold some of these these students excelled in English later in the years mm-hmm. from starting to read car magazines because they'd, they'd ask me you know what's this word what's that and, you know and i'd sure. explain it to them and it's it, you know reading at a young age and reading about what interests you is very important in who you become i think i think you're exactly right because i'm kind of the same way you know i passed all my english classes in school but you know i wasn't um it wasn't something i was interested in i mean i you know, truthfully, I could care less about the the Renaissance era of, of writing and all that kind of stuff. But um, that was just something I wasn't interested in. But you give me a racing book or a history book, something that I'm enjoying turning the page on. Sure, yeah. You know, and, um, you know, one of my favorite books still to this day is Driving with the Devil, mm-hmm. um, you know, by Neil Thompson. It really covers all the North Georgia history, uh, moonshine racing, Raymond Parks, Lloyd C. Roy Hall, Red Byron. You know, that era of, of racers. And, you know, I recommend that book to anybody who considers himself a racing fan. You know, you owe it to yourself to read that book to really learn where it came from. But, you know, that's a book that I can just turn. I can sit there and I can read cover to cover in a short amount of time. Yeah. Now, you know, you give me any other novel or, mm-hmm. or a, a fiction <laughs> book or anything like that. And I'm just I just can't do it. So you got the go kart. Yep. All right. And your parents hadn't done like Kenny Schrader's parents. They didn't. They didn't put a stake in the middle of the yard, and all you could do is drive in a circle because they had you fastened to the stake, <laughs> right. or the go kart fastened to the stake. Uh, you're driving around the driveway. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does it go from there? Um, in about 2006, I was nine or ten at the time. Um, I joined an organization called GARHOP, which was the Georgia Auto Racing Hall of Fame Association. Yeah, right. And um, Found them at a car show. At I nine or to. ten years old? Uh-huh. Okay. And they were so amazed at the the fact that this nine or ten-year-old kid 
knew all these, uh, you know, a lot of the old drivers. And who was at the booth that time, at that point in time? Uh, I believe that was the first time I met David Pearson, was at that, that event. Wow. And um, that was so funny, because I think somebody from that group brought me to Pearson, because uh, it was an all-Ford show at the coming fairgrounds, and there was... Uh, drag racing legends, NASCAR legends, anything that had to do with Ford was there. Was there, yeah. And somebody brought me over to Pearson, and they said, "Man, you got to see this kid. He, you know, he knows everything. He's like a walking encyclopedia of uh, racing, NASCAR." And so he he drilled me. He he gave me a few questions, and uh, but he he stumped me because <laughs> he said, "Who uh, who won the 1976 Daytona 500?" And I said, oh, "Richard Petty." And he's like, "Nope." <laughs> Um, Who was it, him? Yeah, it was yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. He, he done that on purpose. And um, <laughs> But that was a pretty cool memory because the next time I saw him, you know, I, he remembered that. And uh, that was a pretty neat thing. But that just really kind of opened the door. Um, you know, just all these old people at the time, older Watch o- it. older people. Watch it. <laughs> uh, all these legends of the sport. Oh, legends. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, 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 there you go. These legends, um, yeah. You know, all these legends of the sport that um, I think they just appreciated somebody that was very young that really cared about who they were and what they'd done. And, you know, it, it wasn't just talking to a brick wall, basically. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and then... Uh, the museum in Dawsonville, uh, right about that time, it was in the process of reopening. So mm-hmm. if you remember in your timeline, uh, the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame opened in 2002. Uh, in 2004, uh, it went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. The uh, It was formerly called Thunder Road USA. Right, yeah. It was like a big entertainment facility. And uh, just wasn't the right timing, wasn't the right area, I think, at the time. It went bankrupt. Uh, and in 2007, it reopened mm-hmm. uh, just as a volunteer thing. And... Uh, that's kind of the time I got involved with it. I think that's when Dan was uh, after. Doing, but, but, yeah. Was it okay? All right. I think right. Dan was involved with the Thunder Road. The Thunder Road. Okay. But right. um, we we had wandered in there one day because remember there was a restaurant attached to the side at the yep. time. Yeah. And um, I remember I I'd been wanting to go in there for so long, you know, because you could just see the Gober Sosby car. You could see it from in from in the glass, yep. but it was always closed, always closed, and it was fine. <laughs> door was finally open one day so i walked in and uh, i met mrs sosby who was gober's widow right who became you know a very good family friend years later and uh she showed me her husband's car and told me that it was you know he won daytona three times in his car and uh you know all that kind of stuff so i don't remember exactly how it was that i got involved with the museum and started going on a regular basis but it just uh, around that time it just led from there and you know, I would, I would hang out there every single weekend, Saturday and Sunday, um, just gaining a wealth of knowledge from the people involved. Uh, I really enjoyed giving tours of the place. Um, you know, just leading people through. And you're, you're how old at this point? I was probably eleven or twelve. And, wow. Uh, you know, I used to, I used to make some pretty good tips, uh, especially for a twelve year old kid. Yeah. Right. You know, because people, I don't think at that time, I don't think we we charged to get in the museum because it was. You know, it, it wasn't what it is now. It sure, was just yeah. a building with a few cars in there. But uh, I think people were just impressed that this this little kid yeah. knew all this stuff. Yeah. You know, so, but uh, it just led from there. And, uh, and Gordon Perkle was a big, big, big reason why, you know, I was able to be there so much and why I was so interested. Because Gordon um, is, 
my whole life, but especially that point in time, he's really like a grandfather to me. Right. Every every Saturday and Sunday, he uh, he picked me up from the house. Really? And he uh, okay. he'd drive me to the museum. And, I mean, he just made sure I was taken care of, and uh, he was just a, a big crucial part to, uh, you know, why I wanted to be involved with the museum. So tell folks uh, who Gordon is. Well, Gordon um, is just Mr. Dawsonville, is what a lot of people call him. But he's probably... <laughs> One of, if not the biggest ambassador of stock car racing history in the North Georgia area. Uh, Gordon has previously been the president, CEO of the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame. Um, he's the owner of the Dawsonville Pool Room. He's the one that started the tradition of what they call the siren. Yep, the siren. Uh, the siren <laughs> that uh, blares whenever it you know started as Bill winning races, and now it's it's moved on to Chase. Chase, yeah. Um, and I'm happy to say that Gordon uh, is one of the top 15 nominations to the uh, to the Hall of Fame this year. So for many, many, many years, he's always said, I, you know, I don't need to be in the museum. You know, other people need to get in, blah, blah, blah. And I think this year we just finally said, you know, he's going to get nominated. Um, and it's just up to the voters now. Mm-hmm. We have whether he's going to get from the whether he's going to move from the 15 down to the final five. And I hope so. Because he, uh, he definitely has played a big part of it. And if anybody has walked through the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame at any point in time, I'm sure you've seen Mr. Perkle. Um, he's a big reason that place was able to reopen, stay open. Um, you know, even in his later 70s, early 80s, he would be there, you know, all hours of the day. He would open up. He'd close. He would be working on projects in there at night. And it's just like, man, can't believe... You know, at, at his age, he's able to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now he's still, he still's there every weekend. So if you, uh, if you visit the Hall of Fame at any point in time, especially on the weekends, you'll, you're likely to find the guy that really made it all possible. So what are some of the, the, as you gave these tours and as you met more people mm-hmm. and as you got more involved in what became your passion, this, this history of, of racing, what are some some stories about local tracks and and local people that were related to you uh, that you can tell? Um, you know, it just through the museum, it just offered me a lot of uh, opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten just by being a regular racing fan. Sure, and you know, I mean that by you know going to certain racetracks, like you said. Um, you know, we have a great relationship with Atlanta Motor Speedway, mm-hmm. uh, taking cars and setting up displays down there before cup races um and you know and you go back a little bit just for me personally um somehow or another i was invited to go on the coca-cola fan stage when i was probably about 13 or 14 and just talk about racing history like we're doing right now right uh there was somebody just asking me questions and uh i got up there as a i might have been 15 i'm not really sure but um you know that was just a really cool thing and you know earlier you mentioned uh Going on Dale Jr.'s show when they had the Lost Speedways on the on Peacock, NBC, and that was such a an honor, probably one of the biggest moments of of my life, career, what have you. And uh, you know that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the museum. Um, just being that liaison, I guess, of of sharing history and and all that kind of stuff, and being asked to come on board for that episode. Um, so it's it's definitely given me a lot of opportunity uh, being with the Hall of Fame to visit certain tracks like you said you know we've we've held um hall of fame nights at different facilities over the years you know back when gresham motorsports park was around right. uh we you know they, we had a great partnership with them 
and uh, we had several Hall of Fame nights where we would bring cars or invite old cars, invite a lot of the old drivers to come out for an autograph session. I remember one year we announced the Hall of Fame class there uh, for one race, uh, you know, brought them out before the green flag and, you know, got to meet the uh, the Hall of Fame class for that year. So um, we've just had a really, a lot of really good opportunities through the Hall of Fame and, and different tracks around. Now, what can you tell us about some of the, the racetracks, uh, specifically in Georgia, that people may not know about at all? I mean, we've got one that is under the lake now. Yeah, yeah. T- Tell us a little bit about some of those stories. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's Looper Speedway under Lake Lanier is a very fascinating story. Uh, it was built by a guy named Max Looper from mm-hmm. Dawsonville in about 1947, I think, 48, somewhere in that range. And uh, I believe it was a half-mile track. Uh, it was just a flat half-mile surrounded by cornfields. So I've always heard stories of if somebody went off track, you know, they didn't hit a guardrail or a wall. They just went through the, uh, the cornfield. And if you were in the grandstands, you could just see the corn flattening out, and they'd come back on track. Um, but uh, that was a really cool track. They had some uh, kind of advanced time. They had... Uh, concrete grandstands that were poured kind of like what you'd see today yeah Mm -hmm. you know you look back in the in the history books and there was wooden grandstands there was no grandstands there was people standing on a bank you know but this track actually had some concrete grandstands it was for the time and for the area it was kind of advanced for what it was that's Um, probably why it survived under the under the lake i'd say so you know when the lake goes down you can see the grandstands oh really oh yeah it's uh over off 129 um I think laurel park i oh, think yeah. is what it is yeah so it's not yeah. far from here you know okay. and it's uh it's a shame that they took it because the lake basically goes right to the grandstands and that's it um but you know when the corps of engineers came in in 56 or something like that um you know they said this is eminent domain we're taking this area yeah and unfortunately they i think 56 was the last year they ran that the track there so it was only open for a short period of time um but it's one of those tracks that really draws a lot of uh, interest from from people when you uh, talk about racing history mm-hmm. in this area. You know, and Hall County in general, I think there's been seven different racetracks in Hall County throughout the years. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and, and where was, where, go ahead and tell us what the tracks were. Uh, I mean, you've got Road Atlanta, you've got right. Lanier, mm-hmm. you've got Looper Speedway there. Um, there was a Gainesville Fairgrounds, there was another Gainesville track. And there was one out to eleven, like right behind Road Atlanta. And this oh, okay. was this was in the sixties. It was a it was a dirt track. I remember Reggie Murphy telling us about that track. Mm-hmm. You know, Reggie's a truck driver for Oh IMSA. yeah, right. Yeah, right. Mm. yeah. It was off to eleven. He, t- yeah. he told us about that. What 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 was the uh, what was the Lakewood Lakewood Fairgrounds? Was that Lake, a, yeah yeah? Tell tell us a little bit about Lakewood that place. Fairgrounds. Is is such an interesting track because if you're a racing fan or a racing history fan. No matter what your genre is, per se, I'm sure you've heard of Lakewood Speedway. Sure. Because mm-hmm. they ran motorcycles, they ran indie cars, they ran sprint cars, uh, horses, boats in the middle, they ran stock cars. Well, um, boats in the middle? Yeah. What's it got a lake in the center of it? Yep. It was, uh, Lakewood Speedway was a one-mile dirt track in Atlanta. It was nicknamed the uh, Indianapolis of the South because of the shape. It was kind of a square, flat track. Oh, okay. So it was a lot like Indianapolis, but just one mile, and it was dirt. Uh, and it's hard to it's hard to imagine a one mile dirt track of today because if you find a dirt track, it's a half mile or less most of the time. Oh yeah, a lot of them are quarter mile. Right. You know. So uh, a one mile dirt track just sounds very interesting to think about. 
um, you know, a lot of a lot of historic events on a timeline happened there. Uh, it opened in 1915. Actually, the park, Lakewood Park, was built in uh, around 1870 or something. It was uh, to pro- provide water for Atlanta post Reconstruction. Uh, you know, after Atlanta got burned. Okay. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. So the lake was built for that purpose, and then eventually, in the early 1900s, 19 teens, they built the uh, the park there and all the so it was like a fairground and the all fairgrounds, that, yeah, right? Yeah. The Southeastern right. Fair was there, mm-hmm. and the fair buildings uh, started started racing there in 1915. What they called the big cars, which was you know the old Indy type cars, you know, and really those things are big. They're massive. Yeah. You know, they don't. They're not like a midget or anything. Right. Yeah. Um, First stock car race in the state of Georgia was held there in 1938. Um, a local guy from Dahlonega, Frank Christian, was the uh, promoter of that. And he got the idea as he was driving down Highway 9 one day, uh, 1938. Uh, he was going through Dawsonville, south on 9, and uh, he saw a big cloud of dust around a cornfield near the Etowah River. Stopped to see what was going on and found out that all these bootleggers, these moonshiners, uh, on a Sunday afternoon... We're just seeing who had the best car, you know, because huh. if I'm a bootlegger and you're a bootlegger, Tim, yeah. well, I, my car's faster than your car. Oh, no, it didn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, let's go out and see. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, that was how stock car racing up here got started. And uh, a lot of the friends and neighbors all turned out just to see because, I mean, what what are you going to do in Dawsonville on a Sunday afternoon in 1938? Not much. Right. right. Now so, you're going to fight traffic. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> other than that, yeah. So, um so that was a that was a thing that Frank Christian saw. He said, you know, Lakewood would be the perfect place to uh, to actually put on a, a good race. So he rented the track. It was November eleventh, nineteen thirty eight. He invited a lot of uh, the bootleggers from this area. Stock car racing had already gotten started in Daytona in nineteen thirty six. So he invited a lot of of the stock car stars at the time. And uh, Lloyd C. from Dawsonville won that race. It was uh, in a nineteen thirty four Ford Roadster, and he had a uh, Broken left arm, I think. While he was driving well, or because yeah. of driving? No, be, while he was driving. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so that was uh, that was the first stock car race in the state. But, you know, you get back to Lakewood. Um, they did not race there between World War or during World War II from 42 to 45. Right. Yeah. Uh, had the first stock car race in the South post-World War II, Labor Day of 45. Um NASCAR race there, AAA race there. Um, I mean, really, like I said, you you look at it and it's a who's who. Uh, a lot, maybe a younger generation would, re- would recognize the track from my favorite movie, Smoking the Bandit. Oh, yeah. Yep. So the the very first scene and the very last scene was filmed mm. at Lakewood there. In addition to in the second movie, when the roller coaster is destroyed, that, right. was, that was at Lakewood. So um, racing, racing was held there until 1979. Uh, and at that point in time, they're only running once or twice a year because, you know, like I said, a one mile dirt track was pretty, pretty unique. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just a sign of the times and it was, it was going away. Okay. Now connecting the, uh, moonshine sure. to the racing, wasn't there a track somewhere in Georgia where there was a still under yeah, the track? There, yeah, there was. So that was in Byron, Georgia, uh, down it was called Middle Georgia Raceway, and mm-hmm. uh, that was actually the episode of, of uh, Lost Speedways that I was on, was uh, talking about Middle Georgia Raceway. And that's, again, such an interesting track. Um, 
It was a half mile asphalt track. NASCAR ran there from 1966 to uh, 71. You know, when Winston came in, they cut a lot of the smaller tracks out of uh, the schedule to go in favor of the of the larger tracks, mm-hmm. more Charlottes and Atlantas and Ontario, yeah. you know, Texas World Speedway, stuff like that. So a lot of the smaller tracks were axed, uh, per se. But um, yeah, NASCAR ran there for several years. Richard Petty won there. Pearson, Bobby Isaac, and I think Bobby Allison won once. Well, and these tracks you're talking about, these smaller tracks, these guys were running three, four nights a week. Exactly. Traveling the country, you know, with a pickup truck, and, and uh, you know, they, they, they couldn't wreck the car because right. if you wrecked the car, you you weren't making money. Right. Now, yeah, not only that, but, I mean, they were racing so much. So, oh, yeah. So yeah. much during the season. The NASCAR schedule at that, you know, in the 60s was 50 races long or more. Wow. Um, and uh, several times at Middle Georgia... They would start the, I know in 1968, when they ran in November, it was the start of the 1969 season. So, you know, they ran so much there. Oh, yeah. It's like they would they would end the season one week, and then the next week they would start the next season. The next season. And then take a break for Christmas or okay. Thanksgiving or what have you. So, uh, But, yeah, Middle Georgia, um, it's a pretty nice track for what it was during it when when it was built in 1966. Again, concrete grandstands. It was pretty pretty high banked. I think we measured it, and it was around 20 degrees of banking. I think. Wow. Um, and this this is a paved track or dirt track? Paved track. Okay. It reminds me of Bristol, but just not as banked. Yeah. Um, great racing there. You know, local stuff. Uh, it was open from 66 to 84, but in um, 1967 uh, during the NASCAR race there that I think Bobby Allison won, the uh, the ATF came <laughs> up to the track uninvited. Mm. Mm. They didn't pay for a ticket, no. and um, they uh, they asked to shut the race down. This was this was literally during the NASCAR race, and they asked to shut it down. the The track workers and officials kind of pleaded with them, said, "Let's just can we finish this race first. Yeah. And uh, but what they found was a massive moonshine still underneath turn three. So there was a ticket booth way out at turn three, which, you know, if you think about it, didn't really make sense because mm-hmm. the the pit gate was on the back stretch, And I think that's where you, you picked up your registration, your, your uh, you know, your will calls, whatever. Uh, the real ticket booth was over close to turn one. Yeah, it's it's interesting stands. you bring that up because the... Back in the day, they didn't used to pit in the middle of the track. They pitted off the track right, right. and and drove onto the track. Right. Even the the speedway I used to go to in Lancaster, New York, you know, that didn't have trailers and stuff in the infield. Right. It, it was just an infield. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, that way you could see all of the track. all the way around the right. track. Yeah. I used to, you know, we used to uh, go to Lanier all the time, and and we had trackside seats well you mm-hmm. know you got tractor trailers parked in the infield you can't see any yeah you only see a couple of turns <laughs> i digress go ahead continue um, on but anyway there was a there was a a dummy ticket booth in turn three um that had a trap door and then it led about 30 feet underground and then there was a tunnel where wow. there was uh i'm trying to remember off the top of my head it was like a thousand gallon moonshine still like it oh, was a massive operation wow. and this is all underground underground it might have been like 500 gallons but they were producing thousands of gallons of moonshine a week. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, it was, they really planned it right. Because there was a, like I said, it was a tunnel. And then there was a another, it vented out to a sewer drain in the infield. 
So it was, you know, it, it was, was it was very well thought out. So they out. built a building underground and then covered it up, basically. It's like a, it's like like a, a tunnel. A, yeah. Like a mine or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah like a mine. You're right. Yeah. I wonder who ratted them out. Uh, there was a there was a hunter nearby, and uh-huh. he smelled the, the corn mash, and so he just, it was not during a race, you know, so he okay. just started investigating, and he tipped off the ATF. Um, but what's interesting is that the owner of the track, uh, he got acquitted from his charge from his charges. He was arrested, you know, for mm-hmm. obviously, uh, but he was acquitted because of lack of evidence. He didn't know about it. <laughs> that, that was it. That was it. Lack of evidence. He I didn't think. Know about the, it. I mean, it was a very short court hearing proceeding. Oh so yeah. He he uh he got out of it pretty quickly, but uh, nobody nobody knows what happened to the moonshine still. Uh huh. It. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's still down there or it disappeared or what happened to it. Byron, Georgia. Byron, Georgia. There's a. That'd be a good destination. Oh, there you go, Tim. Well, the track is still there. So it is. It is. And I mean, it's, it's really not in bad shape. It reminds me a lot of North Wilkesboro. You know, Uh how it was just kind of an abandoned track. It was grown up a little bit, but you could go out there and, and just kind of visit it and see. So, you know, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, is, is Middle Georgia Raceway the next North Wilkesboro? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't even repave North Wilkesboro. The, 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 uh, the pavement was fine. Yeah. So this pavement, I think, is the original. So it would be 1966. It's old. It definitely needs to be repaved. But the facility is there. The only problem is just the surrounding areas. Because, you know, like everything else, it's been built up so much around that track. Oh, that yeah. wasn't there when the track was open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then you build a racetrack, and then you got people complaining about right, the noise yeah. and all right, that exactly. stuff. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a shame. It is. That's a shame. That would be cool if they could resurrect. Because, I mean, who thought, you know, who thought that uh, uh, Wilkesboro would, would I, be I, running again? I never in a million years would have thought that. Yeah. You know, I, I thought, and I'm glad I'm wrong, but I thought for the longest time that it was just going to get bulldozed. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad that I was wrong. But um, I, I can't wait to see... I guess here in a few weeks. Yeah, they're uh, supposed to be racing there. Yeah, so I, I can't wait to watch that, and I think it's, it's going to be. A, that's, that's supposed to be an all-star race or right. something. Is it right. a, a non-points race or? Uh, yeah, more or less know, an exhibition a, race. Exhibition race. Yeah. Well, yeah, you mentioned not with the history though. You mentioned Gresham Park. Yeah. Uh, is is that's defunct now? I mean, is, is there any possibility that that might open up? I drive past it every day. Uh, I, I actually don't know. Uh, I just know that it sold last year. I think. Oh, it did? Um, okay. Yeah, it, it yeah, sold, and a... I, I think, don't hold me to it, but I think it's like a Copart uh, auction uh, okay. storage I kind see. of thing. Yeah. Such a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, asphalt racing in Georgia is really dried up. I mean, you got Cordial, and that's it. Right. Uh, or downtown Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, 285 is a pretty good <laughs> yeah, racetrack. Yeah, right. um, you know, I, I think Lanier's open to having some stock car races. They just haven't haven't done it yet. No, I don't know what's going to become of uh, uh, Lanier because it's it's resold, and uh, right. you know I don't know what they're what's happening around here though. Is there's so much development and yeah. and, and everywhere yeah. there's mm-hmm. so much development right. that the the property is worth so much more as commercial or right. residential or you know we got this huge battery factory they've built in yeah. uh, you know on off of nine eighty is it off of eighty five or nine eighty five eighty five up in 80, commerce yeah and yeah. you know the drag strip went away and mm-hmm. uh, you know that it's just a shame to it, see it is a shame because I mean the drag strip you know it, that was a great thing of keeping keeping the racing off the streets sure I think a yeah. drag strip you know I'm not 
essentially a drag racing fan. Like, I don't follow the NHRA, mm-hmm. but it's, it's neat to go and watch. But, well, it's unlike anything else. You know, they're testing, they're testing tune, they're Friday night drags. I yeah. mean, you go and you spend, I, I don't know, what was it, to enter 50 bucks or something like that? Not even. Because we used to, I used to take my high school class down there. We had a drag car we built, and I would give them, with, with, uh, you know, signing off yeah. a liability sheet, mom and dad could come and drive the car, mm. or I would take the kids for a ride in the car. It was a 14 second car, so, mm. you know, you, if you, you can have a passenger, if it was under fourteen, if it was fourteen okay. seconds or slower, so if, you know it was a, basically a streetcar with a roll cage yeah. in it. And then in the summertime, we change the engine, and my myself and the guy that helped me build the car would run the engine or run the car, and you know it it was a faster car. But um, but anyway, yeah, it, you know that all went away. And, yeah, and, it's uh, su- such a shame, you know, because there's there's nothing else. And so if you want to do some drag racing, you've got to go outside the state, or you've got to. You know, avoid the law. <laughs> oh, yeah, best you can. Yeah. But uh, it, and that's getting harder to do. Yeah. It, well, it's. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, the same thing happened with uh, Myrtle Beach Speedway. Yep. You know, it it got bulldozed for development. Uh, there's talks about Greenville Pickens Speedway, which is one of the oldest continuous running tracks. I think it was it opened in 1946, up in South Carolina. Uh, it's it's currently up in the air whether it's going to get sold or not. Um, Oh, it's another one. Uh, Boyd's Speedway yeah. up up at, up in uh, Tacoa, or not, not Tacoa. Uh, Ringgold, Georgia. Ringgold, yeah. Uh, that sold, I think, just last month. They still and, drag racing in rentals. Do you know? The silver, yeah, silver the, dollar. Yeah, I, I think so. Oh, I'm okay, not, I'm not quite sure. Um, different different kind of racing, but I'm just saying. You yeah, know, I, I tell you another track that um, you know, if you want to go back to history, the Peach Bowl Speedway in Atlanta. That was a track that was so successful and funny enough over 50 years ago got sold for development you know basically what what we're fighting now with local tracks being and that sold was 50 years ago that happened yeah, yeah. so it was uh, it opened in 1949 lasted until 72 it was a quarter mile track just a perfect quarter mile oval okay. uh started as a dirt track about a year in uh was paved nascar sanctioned uh, they ran midgets there they ran stock car races they ran uh figure eight races and they would run the the three nights a week. They ran Wednesday night, Friday night, Sunday night. And it was right next to the stockyards in downtown Atlanta off uh, Howell Mill Road, Road and Brady Avenue. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was just down the street from the varsity from Georgia Tech, right. right in downtown. And that was a thing. Everybody went there. Everybody competed there. Uh-huh. They would enter a jalopy car or whatever um, and just kind of go from there. But everybody competed there. But unfortunately, when Marta came in, in 72, uh, they bought up the property and turned into a bus repair lot. And that was literally in 72. Wow. So the same, we've been fighting the same thing for a long time. It's right. just more relevant, relevant now. Yeah. So. Well. Wow. 1972. When I graduated high school. Well, there you go. There's two amazing events <laughs> all in the same year. That I graduated yeah, high school. Yeah, there you go. All right, so so you've been you've been doing the history thing on your own for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other gigs? You know, what what keeps you going? What 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 pays the bills? Uh, what pays the bills is uh, pressure washing for me. Okay. So you know, I, I've yeah, I'm, I may, yeah. Surprisingly, you're still working a racetrack, so yeah, yeah. I uh, I I wear a lot of hats. Oh, you know, well, I've. I've held a lot of jobs in racing over the course of, of my short career. You can mm-hmm. say, you know, I've, I've worked at uh, Atlanta Motorsports Park. I worked there for seven years. 
Um, I had a very short time at the Porsche Center in Atlanta mm-hmm. as an instructor. Um, you know, but what's what's been paying the bills for me is is uh, a pressure washing business, uh, which you know is great. And but we also have a contract with Road Atlanta, uh, so we take care of all the wall painting, the painting of the walls, oh, okay. pressure right. washing, anything that needs out. So you there. still at the racetrack? Oh yeah, you know you we can, uh, yeah. we wash the team transporters before they come in if that's something they want to do. Uh, we have a group that uh, does, I, I say does trash, but we. We can call it sanitation if you wanted to make it sound well, sound better than what it we'll is. We'll call it but, sanitation. But, you know, go around on the infield. Makes a huge difference. You know, make sure there's no trash That's overflowing. Because, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's something that it, it's not a glorious job for, for for sure. But we we make fun with it. Well, nothing nothing used to upset me more than going to Lanier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we before we had a trackside uh, uh, seat that you had to wait to get, you know, for several years. Uh, where you could back your truck up and just sit and watch races mm-hmm. trackside. Uh, we'd be up on the hill, and uh, for folks that haven't been to Lanier, it's uh, it's got like, it had like four or five layers yeah. where you could actually drive up there, back your truck up, and, and it was like grandstands. It's such a neat thing. It was great, but at the end of the night, it was trashed. <laughs> I mean, trash, trashed, because it was just a a mess and i i knew the manager of the track at the time he said yeah take us two days to clean up the mess wow and I, first time i went to the indy 500 same thing really you know the next day the place was trashed well you know that that's the thing that we take a lot of pride in is oh, that I think we, it's important we have people come up to the you know the modest trash guys yeah well <laughs> and say you know this is the cleanest facility i've ever been to yep you know and they'll compare it, it to all the other tracks they've been to yep. and and just like you said and uh you know, it, it's it's still a way into racing. It's still around what I love doing uh, or what I love to watch, uh, and you still get paid for it. So. Are you? Do, do you have any aspirations to be with a team or anything like that, or isn't that your bag? You know, um, ever since I was a, a kid, like we were talking earlier, I always, I don't know, you know, every, every little boy wants to be a race car driver. Sure, But yeah. probably mm-hmm. when I was about 12 years old, I come to the realization of, I learned what the dollar was. I learned the value of a dollar. Mm-hmm. And I learned that I was too old at 12 years old. I was too old to start racing. I was I didn't have money, and I didn't have a family with money. Mm-hmm. So I realized that pretty early on, and I thought, I want to use my voice. I want to be an announcer. There was a, a mentor of mine named, named uh, Jimmy Mosteller, who uh, was the first person to ever put me on a microphone when I was, you know, Again, the same time period of a very young child. Sure. And uh, Jimmy Mosteller was the uh, the president and the founder of the old Have a Tampa Racing Series, oh, which is wow. now the Lucas oh, Oil yeah, Series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was the vice president of the Have a Tampa Cigar Company. So he was involved with us at the museum, and um, you know, even up into his eighties, he was still you know part time announcing at Dixie Speedway, and he was the first one to ever give me a microphone. And uh, that's just something I always wanted to do. So, you know, like like we said with the museum, you know, it's afforded me a lot of uh, different opportunities to, you know, come here and talk on a microphone and, and different things like that, do different podcasts and TV shows and, and uh, you know, a little bit of announcing here and there, just public speaking. That's just what I always wanted to do, um, you know, because I, th- I feel like many people, you've, you've, you've got a limited amount of skill set. <laughs> so, right. you know. I feel like I've always been able to use my voice. I just mm. hadn't been, I haven't figured out how to get paid for it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's it can be very interesting, uh, to say the least, um, you know, to, to get 
to get into that because so much of so much many of the people that I know that are announcing um you know might do PRN or MRN yeah. and stuff like that but it's not a full gig it's right. a, it's a it's a journeyman type of deal right so uh, for you it's the best of both worlds you're you know you're at the track you're doing maintenance and stuff at the track and then uh you know you have opportunities and uh you know I've always said if I can just if I can just figure out a way to you know get paid to tell history that right. that would be a dream job for me mm-hmm. um and you know like like we've all talked about you know I, it's pretty obvious I love history and um that is the biggest passion I have is you know probably just being the, being able to share our racing history and educate people about the Dawsonville you know I love telling people that there's a whole lot more Dawsonville history than just Bill and Chase Elliott yeah you know they they're the ones that have allowed us to continue the history because if sure, it wasn't yeah. for the Elliots, you know, there's there's no way that we could gain the interest of what happened before them, you know. But Chase is the seventh person from Dawson County, Georgia, to have won a race at Daytona Beach. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Just from that little bitty town. And the you bring up an interesting thing. I, I had a – this was, a, you know, back now, I'm trying to think – 23 years ago, I guess I was uh, I was teaching at Lanier Tech, and I remember mentioning Bill Elliott. Mm. I just I was just blabbing on about whatever I was teaching that day. I mentioned Bill Elliott, and I didn't. It didn't it didn't phase anybody. Wow! It didn't like it didn't register. No. Wow. And I stopped. I, I for whatever reason I said, "You guys know who Bill Elliott is, right?" No, nobody in the class knew who Bill Elliott was. Wow. And it's just it's just strange how the history I've met people vaporizes so quickly uh, it, yeah, uh, around here. Exactly. Uh, you know, around around racing. Um, I've met people, you know, touring the museum. You know, younger fans, maybe maybe not even younger fans, but just new fans to the sport that didn't even know that Chase's father was right. a driver. Driver, yeah. Which is just... Well, I had Dan Elliott come in and talk to the class one day, which was interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a story in itself. <laughs> he, uh, he, He's he very took, colorful. Uh, yeah, he <laughs> took us to the uh, dark side of racing, if you, <laughs> if you want. Uh, but he, he did it in a fun way. But, uh, you know, I, I said, this is Bill's brother. Well, Bill, Ernie, they didn't they didn't connect the dots that is, at all. That is crazy. Um and I remember my kids, you know, going up to the museum on a bus to to go, or not the museum, the race shop to yeah. tour it, because that was a big deal back in the day around here. I, I remember, you know, like I said, when I started becoming a racing fan at seven, eight years old, I uh, my grandpa took me up to the shop, and, you know, he does, he, did, he wasn't aware that it wasn't open to the public anymore, and I was so disappointed. Right. You know, I just, I wanted to, you know, go in and look around or whatever. Um you know, you bring up Dan. I always am forever appreciative to Dan Elliott because he was the first person I ever interviewed. Right. And I was, you know, probably 13 years old. And it was it was something, it was at the Moonshine Festival one year, and uh, someone gave me a microphone or a, a camera or something and said, here, go, you know Dan, go talk to Dan Elliott. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I, mean, I literally had no idea what I was doing, but Dan just took Played long. Yep. Exactly. Yep. You know, he's a great interview. He mm-hmm. uh, he just took my my simple questions and ran with it, and he he made me look better than what I was. Well, so. Dan Dan 
you know, Dan added so much to the program and yeah. when we were teaching uh, together over at Linear Tech that, you know, his insights and stuff and, and making people realize why such and such was so important because it was going to, you know, go in a race mm-hmm. car and, and that kind of thing. And Dan was the only one of the brothers that would, when we, when I used to take my high school students there on tours, Dan would stop what he was doing mm-hmm. and talk to the kids. Yeah. Um, Ernie was always busy, busy. Right. And, uh, you know, rightfully so. He had a sure. lot on his shoulders. And uh, Bill was nowhere to be found. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> and, and Bill is still a chatterbox whenever I see him somewhere. You know, yeah. But he, uh, so Dan would always kind of, you know. Sure. Make the kids feel special because yeah. hey, here's one of the guys talking to them. Yeah, and that's that's exactly how he made me feel at yeah. 13 yeah. or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's just I think that weekend I also interviewed Rex White. Oh, and wow. uh, that was another thing. It was just that, you know, having having a relationship with these legends and knowing them personally, not just seeing meeting them for the first time, you know, they were able to just make me look better, you know. Well, there was an event that went on at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta not too long ago that was a historic racing event, and the Wood Brothers were there. Mm-hmm. And they were just the nicest folks, sure. just the nicest guys. Did you get a chance to, to talk to them? I didn't get to talk to them. Uh, I've, met, I've met the Woods before. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one first time I ever went into the Wood Brothers shop, uh, we were actually uh, we were getting something for the museum. This was years ago. Uh, they were donating to us, and um, I just... You know, they said, just just go on through the shop and, you know. So, Have a look around. So we just wandered through the shop. And the, the shop guys, you know, were more than cordial with us and talking to us. And I accidentally wandered into uh, Leonard's private workshop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, a- again, just like you said, fantastic people. Uh, did Definitely didn't turn me away and said, well, come on in. And he explained what he was doing yeah. to this, this little kid who was interested and took pictures and autographs and all that so i i was working that event you're talking about at road atlanta uh, i didn't get to uh to talk with the with the woods but uh leonard was there leonard was there yeah. uh i was listening to his his q a session yep. on stage um, 88 years old and he's such a it's such a neat event humble, that is humble guy that is my favorite event at road atlanta to see mm. all the uh all the old race cars at oh the yeah uh, and especially the stock car class that was the featured marquee this year. I think they had over 40, yep. 40 stock cars take the green flag on, on uh, Saturday. So I'm hoping that one day that will lead to maybe the, the big boys coming to come to town. I'm going to ask you that question in just a few minutes here because I've, I've posed that <laughs> to everybody. Uh, the, you ever been Petty Shop? Uh, I went. Up in Level Cross? Yeah, I went right after they moved, that, right when they took out the current uh, the sorry the cup team operation okay so it was it was pretty empty at the time but all right the, the, when i went up there um it was when i was teaching and and one of the uh brembo brake representatives mm. you know was there all the time and he took me up to the shop huh. and uh it was like you talk about history buckshot was racing at the time oh well, out that, of that was, shop. that okay. was a while ago all right so uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, but I walked into the shop, and the, the surface plate was a surface plate that they used to use at the Ford factory where they built the Falcons. Really? Wow. Yeah. They, they, wow. They had gotten the surface plate from the factory, and they were. I walked into another part of the shop, 
And I, the shop was built like if you or me or Tim built the shop, and then, dang, this ain't enough room. Let's <laughs> add on. And it was like a, it was like a maze. Okay. And I go into another part of the shop, and they're breaking in gears. Now they got a nine-inch Ford gear hooked to the power takeoff on an old tractor. Really? And it's it's just chugging away and you know breaking in the gears on this thing. And I thought, wow, this. And they're running a cup shop out of here. And and then the guy I was with said, oh, let's go through this door. And they opened the door, and it was it was a modern day cup shop where buckshots. Uh, Stuff was mm-hmm. being done. His dad had built this edition oh, okay. onto the shop, so it was it was like going from the '60s to the wow. '80s or '90s, whatever whatever wow. year it was. You know, I I I think that way when I think about the Elliots and you know, oh yeah, when you yeah. think about what they were able to accomplish in a relatively short amount of time in the '80s, yeah, out of Dan's shop with what know, yeah that little yeah, shop with the with museum and everything working, in it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you sit down and think about it between '83 to '88. They won, I think, 32, 35 races, something like that. Um, they won a championship. They won two Daytona 500s. They set how many different speed records? Right, yeah. You know, all out of basically some a, a garage the size of some, you know, what you would have at your house. Right. And it's just, it's just crazy uh, to think living yeah. in, And not living in Charlotte. Right, yeah. Where all the you know where all the stuff was right, and all the other teams, and maybe that that was a, a perfect distraction too. Maybe it was. So what is going on now at the Georgia Racing Hall and Fame, and how are you involved, and and what's next for Cody? Uh, well, we, I think in twenty two and twenty one, we've had the best two years at the Hall of Fame that we've had in the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, last year we celebrated uh, being in business for twenty years, and uh, we definitely have the most. Uh, attendance that we've ever had. Uh, I think we've gotten the most notoriety that we've had, and um, you know we're very proud of what we what we have there in place in Dawsonville. And um, you know, if you haven't been to the museum in you know the last couple of years, I invite anybody listening to because you know it is a totally different museum than it was in 2019, 2020, uh, yeah, and anything before COVID else. and all that stuff. Yeah, now uh, we we renovated. Uh, the off season after Chase won the championship, mm-hmm. and I mean there wasn't one thing that we didn't touch. I mean we even like buffing the floors, you know, just made a huge difference, and you know just just simple stuff like that. But I mean we we touched every single object in that museum, uh, built new displays, new exhibits, and you know I think I would I would definitely, and I'm not just being biased, but I would put that museum up against m- many other uh, racing museums in the area uh, or in the south or. What have you? I just think it's such a well put together museum where I'm very proud of it. Mm-hmm. Um, me personally, I've been serving on the board of directors since uh, 2020. That was something that, you know, again, as, as a kid, I always wanted to do, and it was just something that I couldn't do at the time. Sure. So, you know, I was very honored to be on the board of directors since 2020, and I hope to keep going for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, uh, uh, sometime probably after this airs, uh, we will have our 2023 class announced uh so looking forward to that and seeing who the names are because you know we had a really great class of hall of fame inductees last year uh had a great presentation induction ceremony and uh, i mean i'm just very proud of the museum and uh, i'm just proud to be a part of it and how much it's grown and how much it's improved over the years mm-hmm. you know because i like i said earlier i can remember when uh, it was just just a building with a few cars with in a it. few cars you know, in the, it, yeah. and that was it because we uh 
We're just kind of reopening, rebuilding. Now, who's running the museum now and, and uh, taking care of the day-to-day stuff? You still have volunteers? Uh, we, we have some volunteers, uh, a dedicated group of volunteers. It's, it's you know, with anything, it, it's hard to get people to work for free. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> um, so we've got a very dedicated group of volunteers that keep it keep it open and operational uh, every day of the week. And uh, Cindy Elliott is our director mm-hmm. of operations. And, you know, I really think that without Cindy... Um, and that's Bill's wife, uh, Chase's mom. Right. I think without her, um, it, it would have been hard to keep the museum going. I, I really think so. I think that she came in with a, a fresh mind and a, and a vision of what it could be. And, um, I mean, she just really has done a great job with the museum. She's there most every day. And uh, I really think without her, it would have been hard to keep the museum going. So she is really... Um, a, a driving force of the museum, you know, and I talked a lot about Gordon Perkle at the top of the show and, you know, how much he put into that museum, blood, sweat and tears, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and she's really picked up where, uh, where Gordon left off. Well, during, during a, a portion of the time when, when, uh, Gordon was, you know, doing his thing in the mm. museum, Cindy was, was at the racetrack. Right. I mean, between right. Bill and Chase, she was doing everything at the racetrack behind right. the scenes. And, you know, it's, uh, it wasn't you, you couldn't she couldn't do it back then right and now you know chase is out there in nascar world which is another question i wanted to ask you do you think uh do you think the young drivers drivers have lost the history the ones that aren't you know the the the, the ones that don't have the the famous last names well yeah I, I would i would absolutely agree i think they've lost history i think they've lost uh characters that's one thing I, I tell a lot of people is that we just don't have characters in, in modern NASCAR. Well, we went from, and this, this, this is just the way that the business went. We went from guys that were, you know, building houses during the week to yeah, racing on the exactly. weekends. Now, it's, it's funny for me to see some of these guys, the way they react to getting fines and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's a bunch of millionaires out there racing each other. It is. Every it, week. It is. And, I mean, they're... Even if you start last and finish last, right. it, you know, you've got to have a whole lot more money than what's sitting at this table right here. Oh, yeah. All, you know, all put yeah. together. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to know somebody that is yeah. high up at a corporation. And that that's, unfortunately, that's just how it is. Yep. You know, you can be, a, you can say, a not good race car driver uh, or not a successful race car driver. But if you if you have the right connections, you're fine. And, oh yeah, and that's such a shame. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just there's no characters in the sport, and that's like you said, uh, the house building Harry Gant. You know, yeah. he was yeah. he was he went on Sunday, he'd be putting on a roof on Monday. Yeah. You know, um, I think the relatability is what we're lacking in NASCAR today, because if you were a fan in the '80s, the '90s, even early 2000s, you could find somebody that you could relate to. Right. Yeah. You know, people related to Earnhardt because. You know, he worked on his own cars. Yep. Uh, he kind of fought to the top of how he got there. But he was still a guy that would, you know, he would farm, chick, uh, raise chickens and, you know, feed his cows on Monday and all that kind of stuff after winning on Sunday. He was a guy that was relatable. You know, people mm-hmm. related to the Elliots because of where they were from and they were just regular people. Right. Um, and we just don't have that now. And uh, that's that's a shame. I just, you know, you talk about fines. You can't really get out of... Uh, out of the corporate walls, really, uh, yeah. in today's kind of NASCAR, because <laughs> you'll, yeah. get, you'll well, get a fine. 
I, I was surprised that they didn't find Ross Chastain. Which time? In Martinsville. <laughs> God, good, good, good comeback. Good comeback. I, uh, I, I know that he's not for everybody, but I, I am a big Chastain He's a character. Fan. He's a character. Mm, he's he's a character. He was just in the news again last week, wasn't he? I don't know. He's, uh, he's, he's, he, he is what's needed in NASCAR. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Somebody that's willing to be different. Right. And, and not care. Shoot from the hip. Yeah. Run and gun. Yeah. yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. And uh, I love to watch him go because he's he's somebody that you don't know what to expect. Right. Yeah. And right. Um, the the Martinsville race last fall, that is something that I'm going to remember when I'm uh, and that w- 80 that years old. That is the thing. That that Nobody knows who won that race. Nobody <laughs> yeah. cares yeah. who won the race. Exactly. The entertainment value of him doing what he did. Yeah. And now, now you can't do that anymore. Right. But you know that's that was that was such. An I mean, he took the wall. They took the wall down. And it's at it, it's at their shop. You know, <laughs> yeah. so you know, it's just crazy. Su- such a neat thing. So let me ask you one last question. Here. Sure. You were at Michelin Raceway. You know, last time I ran into you at Michelin Raceway, yeah, yeah. You, you and I were there for an event. And I I got a few minutes to talk to Mike Helton. Oh. And I'd met him before. You know, at the racetrack, different guy at the racetrack because he's sure. working. Sure. You know, everybody is, you know, different at the racetrack. But I, I got his ear for just a few minutes, and I asked him a question that I've asked Rick Humphrey. Um, I've asked several different people that have been on the radio show or the podcast. Petit Le Mans mm. is an IMSA road race. IMSA is owned by NASCAR. Right. When you come to Petit Le Mans, you have four or five different classes of cars mm-hmm. on the track at the same time, which sounds absurd, except that the cars, after a few hours, the cars are kind of running in packs yeah. of the other cars that they're racing. Right. And, you know, eventually they're, they're getting passed by faster cars and things like that. Why not have, you know, you could do it over a two-day event if you wanted, and you could have a luck of the draw or whatever. Why not have the cup cars, the trucks, the Xfinity cars, and, and maybe even the ARCA cars on track at the same time mm-hmm. for an event that went over two days, and uh, you'd have the place packed out? I've, oh, s- yeah. I've said the same thing for See, it's just years. not me, Tim. No. No, nope, I, nope. I, I've said that for years. I mean, make it, you know, NASCAR is trying all sorts of different things. And I'm not, I'm not faulting NASCAR, because mm-hmm. I said this a long time ago. Like, at least NASCAR is trying. Right. You know, even if we don't agree with what they're doing, at least they're trying something. Yeah, they, they haven't. You know, just, you know, they haven't let it stagnate. No, just like the Chicago Street Course, I'm not a fan of it. Ooh, but yeah, at least they're trying something. So mm-hmm. let's let's. Forget. But you wear a race suit or a flak jacket at the Chicago <laughs> yeah. Race Car. You know, but, I, I, that's the first thing I thought about. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I've I've said that for a number of years. Wherever it may be, like do it the week before Daytona 500, week after, make that the Clash, make that the All-Star Race, mm-hmm. make it just a simple exhibition like we used to do the Japan races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is no reason that Hendrick Motorsports couldn't field one car for all four of their drivers. There's no reason that RCR couldn't um, field one car for their two drivers and bring on the colleague guys, mm-hmm. you know, let them all race. Joe Gibbs, they've got four drivers. But, yes, do the same thing with the Xfinity cars, with the trucks. Uh, as it sits right now, the Xfinity cars would probably outrun the cup cars. I don't know if they want to show that off or not. But um, Well, it's just going to be a matter of time before the Xfinity are the cup cars. Yeah. You know, different engine right, package right. and stuff, but it's going to be a, still going to be, uh, you know, buy it in a box. But I don't see, I don't see why uh, we couldn't have that, like you said. I think it would be 
very, very interesting because if I remember right at, at Petite, you know, the fastest cars are turning 108s to 110s. Sure. And the slowest class is turning 130s. Yeah. But you never see a big pileup. No. I mean, everything is is very well laid out and everybody knows what they're doing. So it's it's very much possible. And, you know, like you said too earlier, um, I would love to see just a regular cup race there at Road Atlanta. Well, I think it's the perfect I th- venue. I think it's going to happen. Okay. All right. You heard it here. You heard it first <laughs> in Bud's so. Garage Overdrive. Cody Dinsmore, historian, uh, friend of Bud's Garage, the radio show, friend of Bud's, uh, friend of Tim's, just a great guy. Uh, we wish you well in everything you pursue. And uh, Thank you. Come back again. I gladly will. All righty. Tim, as you know, I'm working on a... 73 Mach 1. Have mm-hmm. been for a while. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a little bit of a hassle getting parts and stuff on it. But it's got a 351 Cleveland engine. And, you know, when I first got the car, the air compressor looked like a Briggs & Stratton engine. Oh, yeah, they're you know, huge. The, yeah, they're, they're big. Right. The power steering leaked everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, the pump and stuff like that. And so it was time to reach out to the folks at Concept One Pulley Systems. And they upgraded, you know, they upgraded the components and the pulleys into a serpentine belt drive. Uh, you know, it looks like it's in the 21st century now. Oh, yeah. And they were even able to modify the fan so I could use a mechanical fan. There was a reason for that. And, uh, you know, everything looks like it was original, but, but up to date. Right. And uh, they had the finishes, the hardware to match. Uh, we didn't have to do anything extra, extra special except for the alternator. Mm-hmm. That's something a lot of people overlook when they're restoring a car. You want to put a big stereo in it, or you want to put air ride or something like that, and you got to have an alternator to support the systems. Oh, right. And they can they can fit one and recommend how big an alternator you need to put on your system to bring it into the 21st century. Wow. So if you got a question about you know your small block Ford 351 Cleveland engine, and you want stuff that's going to fit, mm-hmm. comes with the hardware, and ready to install, just check out c1pulleysystems.com or call 1-877-875-5397 you'll be talking to the guys who write the catalog and make the stuff okay concept one pulley systems okay tim before before we do our thank yous i know it's been on all our minds through this entire podcast Mm -hmm. hellboy was the character i was thinking of Oh, hell And if you look at the picture of him, he's got, because you got glasses on and then you got the goggles up on top. We're going to post a picture of Tim. Okay. But you don't look like hell. You look like Hellboy. Mm-hmm. By the way, he's in red, not green. He's in red. I thought yeah. he was green. Okay. Well, I got, all yeah. right, I got my I monsters mixed my up. Card. All right, let's, give it, let's do our thank yous. Uh, Lanier Technical College, I'd like to thank them for being a partner on the program as mm-hmm. well as Concept One and. Yeah. Year one, classic muscle car restoration folks. I'd like to thank the great folks here at Jacobs Media for providing the studios and our illustrious producer who makes sure I know all my monsters uh-huh. correctly. But you had heard of Hellboy now, haven't you? Oh, yeah. If you had said red, I would have been right on it. <laughs> if. You know, I just keep picturing my father. You know, it's like, you look like Hellboy. No, 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 that's not, that's not what I was <laughs> You forgot going. the comma, you look that's like not, Hellboy. Yeah, that, right, that's exactly. not what I was going uh, There's a, but. Our guest next week on the podcast is going to be Frank James from American Resto Mods, former team member of Kurt and uh, Warren Johnson's Pro Stock NHRA team. 
Okay. Once they quit doing the NHRA circuit, he opened his own shop, and he's mm. got a, some great stories to tell. Trained as a professional chef, by the way. Wow. So well, that that's good fun because he was a student of mine at uh, Lanier Technical College. Right. So tune in for that. It'll okay. be a good time. He's always got something good cooking over there. Ah. <laughs> Anyway, if you want if you want a little more informative automotive buffoonery on a week, week weekly basis, you can go to our uh, broadcast on terrestrial radio called Bud's Garage. It's on Jacobs Media, WDUN, AM five fifty FM one one oh two point nine. And it is on every Saturday from noon until one, but it's also available in podcast format, as well as the podcast that you're listening to right now, Bud's Garage Overdrive, an extended version of Bud's Garage. And with that I'll tell you to remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up, and we will see you in Hellboy next week right here at Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. Thanks for listening.